0: power of lies it's time for the show that brings you truth free speech and a variety of opinions in the era of the new world order i'm lee stranahan and this is the backstory hey there rod how you doing? doing i'm doing well lee how about yourself good we've got a great show today we made it to a Friday, and we made it to the post-Elon era. It's a, a I think you call it AE, after Elon. So. But that's like in late. <laughs> right. That's it. And I've noticed some people freaking out on Twitter and not leaving. Have you noticed that? I haven't noticed a lot of people leaving. <laughs> I saw, you know, I know the
1: trend. I mean, if people haven't known for years the trend, how that whole algorithm is so uh, screwed up. But I saw that they somehow put in the top three deleting, hashtag deleting, those 14,000 tr- uh, tweets tr- um, trending. Well, I'm like, why don't you just delete and just leave instead of saying you're going to delete it?
0: Yeah, I've noticed my numbers haven't gone down at all. In other words, I wouldn't have been surprised if they'd gone down by a hundred, let's say, because maybe a hundred people on the left were following me and are freaking out. But we'll talk about that and other stuff with our first hour guest, the great Carter Laren, will be joining us. Looking forward to that on a Friday. We love Carter. And... In the second hour, from the Center for Immigration Studies, the great Todd Benjamin joining us. And there's some weird stuff going on with, I'm seeing in the headlines there, terrorism and immigration, Rod. Is that, is that what I'm seeing? Yes, yeah, it's truly, uh, there's
1: a... Uh... Uh, over 100 possible over 100 uh, people on the terror watch list coming through the uh, southern border
0: and we've talked about it before with Andrew Arthur immigration is actually a big issue in the upcoming elections so I'll also make fun of an 82 year old man being assaulted right after this short break taking your calls 202-521-1320 Rod, take us to the boom Listen to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. Now, Rod, you know that sounded inappropriate that I'm going to make fun of an 82 year old man who's been assaulted. But you know who I'm talking to about, right? Yeah, you're talking about uh, Mr. Pelosi, Paul Pelosi, right? And you, I got to tell you
1: beforehandly, I know I know who did it.
0: Who did it? They actually have a suspect in custody. In all seriousness, but go ahead, Rod. It's a Spanish.
1: It's a Spanish gentleman, possibly his first name Jose, last name Cuervo.
0: <laughs> well, I'm my my joke is along a similar line. Did you hear what happened when they caught the guy in the you know in the house with Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's husband? Did you hear what happened? No, I didn't hear that. No, I
1: didn't hear the details.
0: There was a press conference. There was a uh, a man with a hammer. And he was fighting with Paul Pelosi over the hammer. And then Paul Pelosi was assaulted with it. And I was wondering if he was playing a road trip. Because we all know Paul Pelosi likes to get hammered before he drives. See what I say?
1: (laughs) Oh, man. uh, I don't know what to even think about this, Lee. And And then the timing of it is just, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's a little weird. And also, did you see the celebrity death, the rock and roll death today? I did. I did. So the killer, Jared Lee Lewis, not OJ. Now, Jared Lee Lewis has passed away, one of the founders of rock and roll. And uh, here's what's odd about that. So Jared Lee Lewis is, like, really old. And he was one of the founders of rock and roll in the 50s. Right, Rod?
1: Yeah, that's true, 100%.
0: Now, here's what's true, too. Jerry Lee Lee Lewis was 87, which means he's five years older than Paul Pelosi. So Paul Pelosi and Nancy Pelosi are so old, they're from the 50s rock and roll era. Think about that. That's a little weird, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And you know, the the messed up part is uh, I I thought he had already passed.
0: Yeah, he's he's one of those guys that he hasn't had a hit lately. He's no Taylor Swift. But uh, also, since we're talking about celebrities, uh, 202-521-1320, Tarif, hang on one second. We'll get to you. But I want to say this. Have you seen the clips of Kanye West that were not aired by Tucker Carlson? Have you seen any of those clips? I saw one. I, I I know there's more, but I only had seen one. Those are bad. Those are embarrassing. And you know, I I defend Kanye somewhat reflexively. You know, and I'll continue to, in a way that I'll explain in a second. But these clips that did not air on Tucker, all of them were put up on mediaite and I, they're they're very rambling. What did you see for I was gonna put one on a show, but I saw, decided there's no way to fully like the, the one that really impressed me was about seven minutes long and I love my audience too much just subject him to that. But what did you see, Rod? Um, I can't I
1: can't really remember Lee. I, I think it was one where he was talking about um, Jewish people or certain Jewish family. Um so yeah I can not I can't really remember but um but uh, I'm going to listen to what you uh to what you saw.
0: But here's the thing Kanye's Jewish people. Did you hear that? Kanye was <laughs> talking about the Black Hebrew Israelites thing. Right. In in one clip. And so I don't know if Kanye See I don't like it when people say well he's got mental problems. So does everybody I, I mean that too, and everybody, especially if you listen to people talk about religion, I realized this years ago. Everyone sounds nuts. If you get someone with a little wine in them and they talk about what they believe, actually believe, not not you know what their church believes, but what they believe, everyone sounds mental. Have you noticed that ever, Rod? You mean uh, as far as heaven
1: and hell and, uh, for some people, purgatory?
0: Well, yeah, and as far as specifically what God is, and most people, you know, admit, I will say, that God is not exactly what the Bible describes. And the, the Bible's not exactly word for word true. And people can deal with that. And if you ask people, if you want to see people get really weird, ask them specifically what they think heaven is like and what they think is like in heaven and what they will experience. Because, you know, I saw I forget who who is a person who's sexed, who's sexing text messages came out recently. Who was that? Oh, uh, Adam Levine. Adam Levine. Right. Right. You are. Rod, you're an astute observer of celebrities. Someone said about the Adam Levine thing, no one's sex look good. Does that make sense? That no one, if you see their their sexy time messages, if they're exposed publicly, it's embarrassing for everybody. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, and so I think it's the same about heaven. So part of it was. Kanye was talking a lot about religion, and that's never a good idea. I think Kanye's main problem is he doesn't have anyone to say, Kanye, stop talking, or save it for a song. He can get away with stuff in songs that he shouldn't be talking about. But also, he's very smart. And this is one thing that was obvious. And a lot of stuff he's talking about, like he was going off about Margaret Sanger. Did you hear that part?
1: Yeah, yeah, I've heard him. So he's been talking about that for the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, and now, now I'm in favor of that because I, I've talked about how personally I was affected by finding out about Margaret Sanger. But then he gets into, and she wanted to kill black people because we're the real Jews and we're the Israelites. And once you go from Margaret Sanger to... The black Hebrew Israelites, you know, it's not going to go well. Does it make sense, Rod? Yeah, no,
1: no, no. Yeah, for sure. He's he's done other interviews after that. And um, I should have grabbed the clip, um, but I'll have to find it. We can probably play it next week. But you know what? He, who he was talking about, a specific Jewish person or Jewish family, was uh, Rahm Emanuel, who he said was Barack Obama's handler. And then he was talking about Ari Emanuel, who you know is a, a big. The doctor, uh, yes. Big, big Hollywood agent and also the Donald Trump's former agent as well.
0: Oh, no, he's right. He's not the doctor. He's the other one. I forget the doctor brother. romney has got one brother who's a doctor, and the other, you're right, is a big agent. So, you know, and factually speaking, I read a good article by a friend of mine, David Cole, last night. He was saying, the fact is, there are, an, oh, there is an overrepresentation of Jewish people in management and ownership of sports teams and in management and ownership of entertainment. And all I mean by that is in proportion to the amount of population, does that make sense? If let's say you know let's say the Irish people were five percent of the population, but they were eighty percent of the hockey players. You'd go, that's out of whack. We shouldn't ban it. You shouldn't get, you know, you shouldn't throw Irish people off the ice. But it is an overrepresentation, and I'm not saying, you know, and it's a good question, why? Why is that overrepresentation there? And there, there could be. Logical reasons for that. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, but it go that goes right along. what We were talking
1: about yesterday, Lee, with these um these billionaires and these, how to get these stadiums built, and how they're uh, scamming the taxpayers, um you know, and they just happen to be Jewish. Um, I don't I don't know if they're practicing Jews, like you know we've we've had that um right uh, we've had that topic brought up, but it seems like you're not even allowed to bring that up. You know what I'm saying? And then you know these people are billionaires, so they're going to do whatever they can to, to, you know, try to be in the good light. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't, I think Robert Kraft may be Jewish. I might be wrong about that, but remember when he... It, I think Trump, he is, yeah. Yeah, Trump was running and then everybody who was attached to Trump uh, that they, they started attacking and he had that massage parlor incident in, in Florida revealed. And then, you know, the next thing you know, he's uh, supporting Meek Mill, a rapper from Philly and, 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 and criminal and criminal, uh, ju- criminal justice reform. So you see how that works? <laughs>
0: Yes. Now, I'm going to give some advice to Kanye, and I don't give too much advice to Kanye, but listen up, Kanye. Seriously, if you meet a nice Jewish girl, don't sex with her because they might become public, and then I don't know how you're going to explain that. Right, Rod? I don't know who that would be, even.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, for, for sure, Lee. Yeah, I think he was talking about, he talked about that in uh, one of his songs uh, and from... Uh, College dropout. So that's a long time ago. Talking about sex thing.
0: Yeah. Yes. So 202-521-1320 is the number if you want to call. And our friend Tarif is online the Tarif, thanks for waiting. Sorry you had to listen to all that nonsense. Tarif, what's on your mind?
2: Thank you all for taking my call. First, I'd like to say, free Julian science in the Western, the Western Hemisphere, the Western world hegemony is over. So here I go with my three comments. First comment is this. Six weeks ago, the CEO for Wagner Group came out and spoke to prisoners from out the the Russian penal system, right? They got 450,000 Russian prisoners, right? Just say 200,000 sign up for the Wagner Group to become mercenaries. Now, those that know about Russian, the Soviet history, when the Soviets took towns, in cities, they you, you, they um, they let out all their prisoners, and they put them right on the front line, and it took most of the casualties. Now I came out with a with a uh, hypothesis. My little theory is this: I think Russia gonna go for Kyiv. Ka- I think they're gonna use the bulk of the um prisoner population, the ones that's gonna join a Ragnar group, at, to storm Kyiv. With some Chechens in, mixed in with them, Spetsnaz and some other troops mixed in with them, and I think they're gonna try to take Kiev back. Now they're gonna suffer heavy losses, like 10 to 20 thousand, maybe 30 thousand troops will be lost, but it'll be mostly prisoners. And once Russia conquer KF, take
0: Kiev back from um um no, nope. why would you think the regular Russian army wouldn't be involved in an assault on Kiev?
2: My my opinion, because the uh, the, the Soviet um, history and, and by what the Ragnar um, CEO spoke to the um, the prisoners when he was at the prison yard, he he told them basically they're looking for fighters, infantry soldiers. They basically go to deal with a you know, fight hand to hand combat in urban environments where it's going to be tough. Well, they're going to lose a lot of people. He said that six weeks ago. I remember what it. That's what he. I read, That's what he said. And I put two to two together, and I've been looking, watching, following the tele- Telegram, and every once in a while, Russian analysts say something about Kiev. So, in my opinion, I think they're going to take Kiev, and that's going to send a signal to the Western world that you know you spent all that money in, in um, Ukraine, and you couldn't hold a major city, Kiev, and that's going to be like a chair on top. The um, Sunday right now
0: against the West.
2: My, my second comment is dealing with um, Trump.
0: Was, um, I should say that Russia has made no serious effort to take Kiev so far. Would you agree with that? Um, that's
2: that's true. That they haven't made. Well, they took. Well, they haven't made any. But from what I understand, what Colonel McGregor and Scott uh, Ritter say that Russia got three hundred thousand troops already. And the um, seven hundred thousand troops—they're still mobilizing. So by the end of December, beginning of January, they're gonna have close to a million troops. They're gonna, you know, and that's what Colonel McGregor said and Scott Ritter said as well. So yes, I think we might be able play on Kiev. That's my opinion. I could be wrong, but I think they're gonna take Kiev. It's historically belonged to Russia. It was part of the Rus Empire at one time. But okay, I'm gonna go with my second comment when. Um, Elon Musk and his little board, his moderate board, start letting people back on, like such you know, such as Trump and some other people. Trump got to take the um the initiative to start making his videos go again and putting it on Twitter because that's going to um help out the candidates if they do it before November eight, right? So that's going to help out the candidates in the different states it, it, and give them a boost to win.
0: That would be a smart thing for them to do. If you don't don't do it, I think. I think the best thing Trump could do for a Republican Party is be quiet, is is not go. Anybody who's convinced to vote for a candidate other than Trump is convinced at the last minute by Trump was already in the bag. You know, no one's going to go, gee, Donald Trump, I think if someone's going to vote for, for instance, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania— Because they say, well, Fetterman, he's a mess. He sounds worse than Lee. Anyone who's saying that is not gonna suddenly go, well, I'm gonna vote for Oz. I wasn't gonna vote for Oz, but I heard Trump come out and say I should. Everyone knows Trump's supporting Oz. And all it will do is take people who would have voted for Oz and make them back off. They won't say it, but they'll go, I was gonna vote for this Dr. Oz guy, but based on what Trump was saying, I don't think I will. I don't think Trump would help any. I think him remaining in the background quiet is the best thing. And I actually think it it's helped Trump tremendously that he's been kicked off Twitter. Not hearing from Tr- Trump every single day saying, see, Like the stupid joke I made about Paul Pelosi. Trump's the kind of guy who if he has his Twitter, he may say something like that. I mean, he periodically says stuff. He's got Kanye disease. He's got to know when to shut up. And he doesn't. And he's got no one around him who can say, hey, back off. What what do you think about that, Tarif? I agree with you.
2: But for like right now, before November the 8th, if he let back on, the best thing he can say is no war. We need to have peace talks with Ukraine. We need to talk with nations. We need to talk with uh, Russia. We got to prevent nuclear war. Those little few little words he can say can really push independence and some people on the left that don't want to vote for the DNC into his camp, I mean, into the Republican camp. Those words would be helpful. But if he go off and start talking like Kanye West is running his mouth, that's going to hurt the Republicans. You're right. It will
0: hurt him. Yeah, and all Trump does is run his mouth. But great call, Tarif. Great call as usual. Thanks so much. Now let's go 202 521 Let's go to D.C. and our friend Ingrid. Ingrid, hey there. What's on your mind?
3: Oh, am I on the air? Yes, you are. Weird entrance. Yes, uh, our campaign hashtag vote for Assange has begun. And the uh, real objective here is for people to go out actually in public with a campaign sign that says vote for Assange for fresh freedom, fresh press freedom. Uh, But at the moment, we've started with some tweets of people. Showing themselves doing exactly that, standing at a town hall. We kicked off in Wilton, New Hampshire, with a a video of our campaign, and so we'd like to get people out in public on the eighth when everyone's going to the polls to uh, to push the case of freedom of the press, freedom to write, right to know what our government's doing in our name, and free. Now,
0: who's involved in organizing this? Ingrid.
3: Me, Paula from New Hampshire, D.C. Action for Assange. Um, Yeah. Various people around the country. We had a we had a Zoom with some people from all over.
0: Uh, That's great.
3: I I wanted to concentrate on Virginia, but then everybody said, well, why? We should do this all every place. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that, but yeah, as long as it doesn't, I agree that Virginia is the most important place because that's where a jury will, will be drawn from, and uh, so the the election day, the eighth, a big action is planned across the country. And is there some place people can find out more about this, Ingrid?
3: Well, I I'm, I'm not going to say you can contact us at dcactionforassange at gmail.com. But I think the best thing to do is just to search for that hashtag vote for Assange. That's F-O-R, not a number. Vote for Assange. And see what's there and what's coming there and, um, and, and go off of that because we're a very small group here. We don't have a website or anything like that.
0: Okay. Well, that's great and uh everyone i urge everyone to do something like that and it's fun too i gotta say being outside with a sign promoting assange is fun and you meet some good people so get involved in that thanks ingrid great call so rod we got i'm going to save it we have a clip of tulsi gabbard talking about elon musk but i'm going to save that for when carter's on but Guess who's coming to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, next Wednesday? Scott Ritter, right? What did you say? Scott Ritter. No, Tulsi Gabbard. Hopefully we're going to get Scott out here, but this is confirmed. Tulsi will be in Rapid. That's West River, for anyone who knows South Dakota. That's about six hours away. She will be in Rapid City, South Dakota, in the morning. And then at night, after my show, conveniently, at six o'clock, here in Sioux Falls, Tulsi Gabbard, she'll be appearing in both places with Governor Christy Nome. She's campaigning with Kristi. Now, I would like to go to that event, and, you know, if I could arrange the interview with Tulsi, that'd be great, but last time, someone fairly big. Michael McFaul was coming into town, and I said, "Hey, maybe I can get involved." McFaul will be there. The FBI showed up at my door. Remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. But I don't think
1: I don't think uh, Tulsi attracts
0: that kind of uh, that type of crowd. they like the crowd of people who are trying to protect her, right? Yeah. I I agree with that. But Tulsi Gabbard being in Sioux Falls is going to be very interesting. So let's take a short break and we'll play that clip and a few more with our next guest, the great Carter Laren, on a Friday, end of the week edition of the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. This is the backstory. Backstory, and on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. joined now by our friend, the great Carter Laren from Unsafe Space. How you doing, Carter? I'm doing well, Lee. It's good to be back. Well, you're here on a day, the first day of the post-Musk era, after Elon. So what are your—I have a couple of clips about this, but first— what are your thoughts in general, Carter, about Elon Musk
4: taking over Twitter? I think it's uh, I think it's one of the more hopeful things happening in the world today. Uh, I know a lot of people don't like to have any nuance, and so they'll you know they want to view Elon either as perfect or the devil, uh, and obviously he's he's a lot more nuanced than that because he's human, but. Uh, look, you know, we, you and I have talked about the World Economic Forum. We've talked about how they use ESG scores and these agendas that they're pushing. And a lot of that's driven through public companies. And to have a, pump, a company off the public market in the hands of someone who is not beholden to woke ideology can only be a good thing for those of us who want to save Western civilization.
0: Yes. No, I, I agree. It, it's and It's very good. And So far, he hasn't done anything that scares me. I'm open to that. I'm going to keep an eye, as I'm sure you you will, too. You're not just, okay, Elon, anything you want to do is okay. If he shows signs of buckling under pressure, I'll be the first to call him out.
4: Yeah, I'm already a little bit, I'll I'll admit, I'm already a little bit suspicious of this. Uh, He said he was putting together a committee Uh, which is never a good thing. He's putting together a committee to evaluate um, reinstatements and to evaluate the rules around letting people on the platform. Now, you know, that's something that Facebook does, but of course they do it by, you know, they they outsource the censorship to various leftist organizations and, and then they can stand back and claim that they have no, it's not them censoring, it's someone else doing it. Um, so it gives them a little bit of, uh, uh, this, you know, they can claim innocence. There's there's some plausible deniability there. I am concerned about the committee that he's going to put together. He says it's going to be people from opposite ends of the spectrum, but you know we'll see how it functions and and that kind of thing. There's already been cage rattling, or sable rattling, saber rattling, sorry, uh, today on CNBC about, well, will advertisers really want to go to Twitter if Elon changes anything and I think the the left and the establishment are already trying to make it seem like this is a a big deal and he better fall in line or there's going to be consequences so there's pressure on him for sure so let's see what he does does with it I'm you know I'm cautiously optimistic but like you you know we'll we'll take reality as it comes
0: now also People need to realize, look, I don't want to defend people, for instance, going on Twitter and threatening physically other people. If someone's up, but I want things to be judged fairly. And some people have been kicked off Twitter for what they said were threats that clearly weren't, and it's based on political bias.
4: You see that, Carter? Yeah, I mean, I think the two big the two big problems that I see with how the how Twitter has been handled in the past is, one, um, there is a selective application slash interpretation of rules. So when you have very vague language in your terms of service, um, I, I kind of call it like a it's a kind of like a variable encoding. You just you put a word in that can mean anything you want, and then you interpret that uh, section of the terms of service based on the person saying. Uh, or you're the person doing the tweeting based on their alignment. So there, the big problem is is bias there. But there's another problem, which is when you when you control the framework for what what you consider to be reality, and then uh, then you can d- make arguments that someone is doing something objectively incorrect. So an example would be uh, if you decide. This is this is something that irks me as as a <laughs> as more of a libertarian type person if you decide that questioning elections is bad and that's 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 a objectively bad thing to do one should never question elections or if you decide that voting is something that should be done that people shouldn't incur that the voting shouldn't be discouraged that voting should be encouraged that's a view that's a that's a, a philosophic outlook And if you judge everything through that framework, you will end up with a bias. So, I mean, I think I'm in agreement with you. I don't want to see actual physical threats, but I will couch that by saying they need to be actual, reasonable, specific threats that a reasonable person would would feel um, uh, at risk by. They can't be, you know, someone saying some vague or making a big or sweeping statement or calling someone a bad name. And that doesn't count as a threat. I mean, I, you probably don't like her any more than I do, but who was the, was it Kathy? Uh, what was her name? Who, who did the, the Trump Kathy beheading Griffiths. quote art, Kathy, Kathy Griffith, I, right. I wouldn't kick her off for that. It's not a direct threat. It was crass right. and I didn't like it, but, but it belongs there. Right, it's a Halloween thing.
0: You know, that kind of is a scary mask. And let me give an example. Yes. If someone is up on Twitter saying, Caitlyn Jenner, if you come right to town, I'll kill you. That should be taken seriously and is a threat and should not be allowed. But if someone calls Caitlyn Jenner Bruce, I believe if someone says, you know, Carter, I've had actually— I come from, my family background is my family and my mom's side are eccentric Southerners. So, an example of that is my uncle, oddly, one day came home and said to his daughters, we all have new names now. Just randomly. He said, we have new names. Your name is no longer Delight or Adeline or whatever. But your name is... And if if Carter... You said to Rod, "Don't call me Carter Laren. I've changed my name to Swami Laren. Let's say it'd be wacky. Excellent choice.
4: Yeah,
0: and I might I might giggle a little bit, but I would respect it. I would do it because if you want to be called Swami, why do I care? That's I'm going to call you. Does that make sense? But that in in the trans world, that's called dead naming, and they've Kick people off for saying instead of Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce. Now I don't think they did it about Caitlyn Jenner because she's politically incorrect. But do you agree with that, Carter? Did I say anything
4: that is outside of what you think? No, I mean I, I agree. I mean I generally don't dead name people unless I believe that they're they're motives are insincere or their activism is obnoxious and then it's the same as calling it's the same as calling anyone else a jerk it's an insult right so if you do it it's a, it's an insult and it's a jerk thing to do or a, a, as you said and um you know but but people are allowed to be jerks i wouldn't kick anyone off twitter for that so yeah i there's a difference though between saying you know, making an overt threat to someone, like you mentioned the the threat to Caitlyn Jenner as an example, that should be dealt with. But you know, Twitter will interpret things like if someone if someone tweets something like "we have to get rid of all these commies" in you know whatever town they're in, Twitter if if it says we have to get rid of the commies, Twitter Twitter might very well or pick some other protected group. Twitter might very well decide that that's a real actionable. Violent threat. Whereas, if someone on the left says we have to get rid of all these Republicans, that's just fine. That's political speech, right? And that's and that's the big, the big difference that everyone has been seeing for years, and Twitter has been denying. And at least we have someone in charge who doesn't deny that that's been happening. Now let's hear a clip. This is what
0: Tulsi Gabbard thinks about Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Play that clip, please. Hit it
5: is the significance of of uh, Elon Musk's potential takeover of Twitter and how this relates to free speech why is elon musk regarded as a distinct billionaire as opposed to the other billionaires that own other comparable sites and what are your concerns around the subject of free speech and do you think that what we are witnessing is a curation of the of new public spaces in order to manage the discourse around power and to ensure that grassroots movements cannot compete at a, uh, on a level f- playing field, it is because they are so threatened by a free people who can think for ourselves, speak, uh, you know, speak our mind and our views and our beliefs. Uh, very robustly engage in this marketplace of ideas that scares them, that scares the power elite who are in charge. So, of course, and this includes some of these billionaires who are so afraid to stand up and take a stand like Elon Musk has. Uh, it's why he's gotten such a backlash with his purchase of Twitter and his, his true commitment uh, stringently to free speech, whether you like it or not, which, by the way, the ACLU and Democrats used to be that they used to be those champions of speech, no matter how abhorrent that speech might be. Uh, What's dangerous about what's happening here is with Elon Musk continuing to forge ahead uh, very correctly in his, his commitment to free speech and how he wants to change Twitter to be a truly free marketplace of ideas, the power leader so threatened by it that they are launching uh, the muscle of the federal government against him, basically saying, well, we're going to just start investigating Elon Musk. We need to start looking at what rules he may have broken or what regulations he may not be following. Not because they've got evidence of any wrongdoing, but here's a guy who poses a threat To them, because they want to be the ones to say, well, these are the only voices we want heard. This is what we deem to be information versus disinformation. Nobody else, nobody else uh, gets to do that but us. They're afraid of a free people with free voices and a free society. And that's why. It's it's dangerous as we are seeing how they're trying to uh, take down people like Elon Musk, who has the means and resources to actually join the people in standing up and fighting to uphold those freedoms, obviously here in the United States. But with Twitter, it affects people around the world
0: now. So, you know, the she used the term disinformation. And I'm going to talk about have you been following the controversy about PayPal recently, car.
4: Yeah, I'm aware. I'm aware of it. I think I thought they retracted that and said it wasn't real, although I don't know where it really came from. But I don't know too many details. Well,
0: and and it, they're saying it's back. But there's people are saying that it is they can take 2500 from a bank account for misinformation. That's actually not what I see the agreement says. What it says is if you're, for instance, violating the terms of service and using PayPal, and this includes for stuff like child pornography. Let's say you're using PayPal to charge people to see kitty porn. That's Everyone agrees that should be illegal, I think. And they're saying they can fine you because they're gonna incur costs, PayPal will. They did not say misinformation. They did not use that phrase, but they said falsehoods. And the fact is, if you're using PayPal to sell a miracle pill that cures cancer, and it doesn't, it's a sugar pill, that is using speech to, uh, you know, I don't know how else to put it, you're lying. And that is what it seems to me the new Twitter Terms of Service are is designed to stop. But I see nothing as soon as I hear misinformation or disinformation. Those are political charge terms, I think Carter do you agree that, oh, I don't even know what the hell misinformation is because often it's not what they mean by misinformation because they say those are Putin talking points about certain things. They're not false. Right but they still call them misinformation. So do you have the same concerns I have that disinformation or misinformation are loaded terms, Carter or Aaron?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a term for what PayPal needs to be able to combat, and that term has been around forever, and it's called fraud. So if I sell a pill, and I claim that that is going to cure cancer, and it doesn't, that's fraud. That's very clear. Uh, So I don't have a problem with terms of service that say you can't offer fraudulent products. (laughs) That makes sense. Um, But if you start saying, well, you can't have misinformation or if you you can't have falsehoods, one thing that we're seeing is um, we, we have, especially the past few years with COVID, what we've seen is official statements from official sources, typically the federal government, although sometimes other official sources or recognized sources by the mainstream, they are, they are taken as fact, and not only fact, but unquestionable fact. And even questioning them or any nuance to them or any counterpoints to those things are, have all been considered misinformation. When the COVID uh, lockdowns began, I remember talking about the effect this would have on the economy. I remember talking about – actually, here's a better one. I remember talking about how, you know, if we lock ourselves in and slather antibacterial hand gel all over ourselves and wear masks and don't go anywhere, our immune systems will be depressed. And we will be facing, when we get out, a a crisis of – immune, immunodeficiency as a, as a culture. And people will start getting sick with things that they weren't getting sick with otherwise. And I, you know, I'm not a doctor, but that was pretty obvious. And other, and actual doctors did say that all of that was, was banned from many major social media platforms for disinformation, because the official narrative was only the vaccines, only the vaccines work. And, or, or, you know, they're, it's good to be uh, the lockdowns are good. Anything that's a counterpoint to the lockdowns being good is considered misinformation. So it's, this is, this is, um, it's misinformation by the standard of a government imposed narrative. And that's what makes it really, really scary. I mean, a Twitter example, Lee, I don't know if you remember this. One of the first people to get banned, one of the first celebrities to get banned. I don't know if she's a celebrity. One of the, the first Major people to get banned from Twitter for uh, wrong thinking tweets was Megan Murphy, whom I disagree with on many issues. She's a radical feminist. But what she said on Twitter was, Men aren't women, though. That's what got her banned. Uh, now, <laughs> that was considered, I guess, hateful. I guess you could argue that it was misinformation if you live in a postmodern world where men are women and fish are women and toys are women and I mean I've, I've, some of the pronouns I've seen are absolutely insane. Anything is a woman, we can't define a woman. well, then you can't say men aren't women because that would be considered disinformation.
0: Yeah now let's let's play the clip. One of the things Elon did when he took over is he immediately started firing some of the top executives. So one of the women he fired was the head of what is called Trust and safety at Twitter. So let's play that
6: clip with the censor queen. Hit it. I I believe that to be the case. So your platform restricts
7: speech. Our platform promotes speech unless people violate our rules. And in a
6: specific direction. In
7: any direction.
6: But uncle, oh, I don't want to say his name, the guy who calls for death gets a suspension. The guy who insinuates death gets a permanent ban.
7: But Tim, you're you're misinterpreting what I'm saying, and I feel like you're doing it deliberately. It's not about one particular thing. It's about a pattern and
6: practice of violating and our And you rules. have a pattern and practice of banning only one faction of people. I don't agree Quillette with that. recently published an article where they looked at 22 high-profile bannings from 2015 and found 21 of them were only on one side of the cultural debate.
7: But I don't look at the political spectrum of people when I'm looking at
6: their tweets. Right. You, you have a... I Bias, don't know who they are. You're biased, and you're you're targeting specific individuals because your rules support this perspective.
7: No, it, I it, don't agree with that. Well, so can you be clear
6: though, in, in like what rules support that perspective? Specifically, the the easiest one is misgendering, right? Because that's so clearly ideological. If you ask a conservative, what is misgendering? They'll say if someone is biologically male and you call them, you know, the she, a uh, biologically male, and you call them a she, that's misgendering. That's a conservative okay. view. The 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 progressive view is inverted. So now you actually have in your policies a a rule against the conservative perspective.
7: I have a rule against the abuse and harassment of trans people on our platform.
6: That's what my rules. Can we just give context in the background as to why that is? And the why
7: that is. And I brought some, some research. So. We obviously received a a lot of uh, feedback. So we don't make these rules in a vacuum, just to be clear. We have a a bunch of people all around the world who give us context and the types of behavior they're seeing, how that translates into real world harm. And uh, they give us feedback and they tell us like, you should consider different types of rules, different types of uh, perspectives, different, like, for example, when we try to enforce hateful conduct in our hateful conduct policy in a particular country, we are not going to know all the slur words that are used to target people of a particular race or particular uh, religion. So we're going to rely on building out a a team of experts all around the world who are going to help us enforce our rules. So in the particular case of um, misgendering, I'm just trying to pull up um, some of the studies that we looked at. But we looked at um, the American Association of Pediatrics and looked at the number of transgender youths that were committing suicide. It's an astronomical. I'm sorry, I can't find it right now in front of me. It's a really, really high statistic. That's like 10 times what the normal suicide rate is of normal teenagers. And we looked at the causes of what that was happening. And a lot of it was not just violence towards those individuals, but it was bullying behavior. And what, was, what were those bullying behaviors that were contributing to that? And that's why we made this rule. Because we thought and we believe that those types of behaviors were happening on our platform, and we wanted to stop it. Now, there are exceptions to this rule. We don't, and this is all, this isn't about like public figures, and there's always going to be public figures that you're going to want to talk about, and that's that's fine. But this is about, are you doing something with the intention of abusing and harassing a trans person on the platform, and are they viewing it that way and reporting it to us so that we take action
6: so so I, I will just state, I actually agree with the rule on, from you know my point of view, I, I agree that bullying and harassing trans people is in, in, in higher, uh, entirely wrong. I disagree with it, but I just want to make sure it 's clear to everybody who 's listening. My point is simply that you know Ben Shapiro went on a talk show and absolutely refused, and that 's his schtick. you know, and he 's one of the biggest podcasts in in the world, so if you have all of his millions upon millions of followers who are looking at this rule saying this goes against. My view of the world, and it's, it's literally sixty plus million in this country. You do have a rule that's ideologically bent, and and it's it's true. You you did the research. You believe this. Well, then you have Ben Shapiro who did his re- research and doesn't believe it.
7: Yeah, and, and I relied and- on the American Association of Pediatrics and uh, you know Human Rights Council and other. So,
0: it, it, to the point you were making earlier, it's an analogy here, and you are talking about how being. Shuttered away and slathered in hand lotion actually depresses the immune system. So here's the reality. If you're a trans person, let's say, some people aren't gonna like it and are gonna make fun of you. And so to shelter them from that possibility, I would tell someone who's bullied, look, to some extent, you're gonna have to get used to it because people are mean. And people, you're noticeably different, and some people are going to make fun of you. Do you see my point, Carter?
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, there's just so much wrong. That was Vijaya Gad, and the, and and she. I mean, I'm really glad that she's gone, but there's just so much wrong with what she said. Um, I almost don't know where to start. But you know, one of the important things to to remember is when. Actually, I guess maybe a good thing to mention is Alex Epstein wrote this book called uh, *The Fossil Future*, which does relate to this. Uh, he, he, in it, he talked about the knowledge system and how scientists do not do research. They, it's, it's very targeted. There's some some information that is uh, obtained about the way the world works, and then it's interpreted by a different set of people, and then, and then. Evangelized by a different set of people, and by the time you receive it from CNN, it's been uh, massaged by five or six different layers of manipulation, and you are told things that are conclusions that are possibly aren't have are not at all scientific conclusions. But you're told that this is what the science says, and science is never that simple. And so she's saying, "Oh well, we have data. It was because of the bullying." Well, I mean, there's a correlation versus causation issue with trans that a lot of people are very well aware of, which is that it, it is the increase in, 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 uh, trans youth, a result of psychological problems themselves, then, then manifesting in that way. Or is that, that, that the transition causes psychological problems or is it that, there's bullying afterwards or is it bullying beforehand like there's there's so much there to tease out that for her to sit at the head of a major social media company and say oh well we looked at some research from the pediat this pediatric organization which i assume is a mainstream trusted organization and well we've just concluded that it's because people say mean things on twitter that that uh that trans people kill themselves and i'm sure you can find one case of that or a few cases sure um but that is a Uh, A grossly unscientific and, frankly, biased and unfair way to run your company. What you need to allow for is people to be mean to each other, and you need to allow different interpretations of data to be argued and debated. And you can't take sides and claim that you're being fair, Um, which is exactly – she's just drawing conclusions and claiming that, well – we're doing it for, you know, it's it's like in the 80s, they used to say it's for the kids, right? Well, it's for the trans kids. Everything, don't worry. We've we've used the word harm, which is, you could drive a truck through that word. It could mean anything you want, whenever you want. And, you know, I could argue that I'm harmed every day that I see the news or I'm on Twitter because I want uh, a, a limited government and everyone is talking about expanding the government and I'm traumatized by it and I get a lot of hate. For saying that we should have uh, our rights protected, and so I'm I'm distraughtly, and I'm closer to suicide than I would be if everyone agreed with me. That's just reality, uh, and and you can't you can't use that to say, well, we better protect Carter from the lefties on Twitter because he's fragile, and he might go hurt himself. And by the way, if you'll notice. What they were doing was responding to activists. She basically said the squeaky wheels that complain the most about having their feelings hurt, that's when we listen, right? And then we make a policy out of it. So it's it this caters to the victim mentality, and you're going to end up with uh, there's an increased incentive in that system for people to say that they were hurt and that they're that they're being bullied and to feel bullied and to feel victimized. And of course, the loudest people tend to be on the left, so you're going to have a lot of lefties. Who are claiming that everything in the world hurts them, and they need rules from it? And Twitter's going to respond because instead of having a principled stance, they're just trying to respond to the mobs, and that—that's what you're going to get out of it. So I hope Elon doesn't do that. And I also think it, this
0: resolved itself in a way that I like, because this is an example. What what Elon's being criticized for being a billionaire who's buying a company. First off, you couldn't buy this company unless you had a lot of money. So I wasn't going to do it, and you you weren't going to do it, Carter. So you have to be very rich. But I think this is an example of capitalism solving a problem. Do you see what I'm saying, Carter,
4: and do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I I was texting with my my friend who's in the tech M&A space yesterday, and and I said I was worried that this was kind of a— elon overpaid probably by 15 billion bucks or so for this thing and i said i was worried that he was being altruistic and my friend said i don't think so I, I think this is selfish he wants to have a world in which the the public square is is uh has 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 a free speech rule and is a is a place where people can disagree and have real discussions and it matters to him and so yeah he overpaid but uh it it's it's a selfish move on his part in a good way i'm I'm using it in a the randian sense right and uh and so that's, that's promising. And I, I don't, you know, this Lee, I don't, when people say, people say he's a billionaire as if that's a, if that's, that's a dig that doesn't go in the minus column that goes in the plus column. I mean, unless he's like a Nancy Pelosi type who made a whole bunch of money magically through being a Senator, the guy built several companies. He sends rockets to space. I mean, of course he's a billionaire. Good for him. So Carter Lahren, great appearance
0: as always. Hope you have a great weekend, Carter. Always good talking to you. Thanks so much. Let's take a short break and we'll come back and taking your calls 202 521 1320 on the backstory. The Backstory, the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. Thanks so much to Greg great Carter Lahren for joining us. Always good to talk to Carter, and uh, always a smart conversation, and Carter's a great guy. So this hour, another great guy, Todd Anderson from the Center for Immigration Studies and your calls, 202-521-1320. That's all coming up on The Backstory. All right. So, Rod, what did you think about what Carter was saying about Elon Musk?
1: I think that was a sober take, Lee. You know, uh, he's not uh, not too high, but he's definitely not not low. He's like a happy medium and, uh, you know, got to give it time and see where uh, Elon goes with things. But, yeah, you know, putting a committee together, of people of two different spectrums, um, you know, I I, I agree with Carter. You know, well, I don't think that's going to work out too well, but let's see.
0: So I'll make a philosophical point. Uh, It's I don't want to get heavy because we're going into the weekend, but I've noticed and I'm not the only one. I got this from Alan Watts the Zen Buddhist philosopher. He pointed out that most people's problems, most people's, when they're anxious or tense or angry about something, it is about either the past or the future. Have you noticed this, Rod? Most people, they're either upset about something that happened five years ago or something that they think might happen next week. About the past or the future. Whereas if they... Looked at the present moment, everything's actually okay. Does that make sense at all, Rod?
1: Yeah, no, that makes that makes total sense. Lee, I know, I know what you're saying. Um, it's it's deep. It's a deep thing. Like you said, uh, definitely <laughs> going into the weekend. But uh, but yeah, at the moment, everything's okay. But uh, if you look, if you're looking forward, everything might not be okay. And for some people, definitely they do focus on the past and uh, decisions they have made. And uh and the don on them.
0: And the heavy part is that time, you know, does a future or past exist? Well, clearly not in a way that the present exists. Now, this moment, the past is largely a memory we have of it. Does it make sense? You know, you and I can experience something and then a week later, your perception of that is different than mine. That's common. This happens to everybody. But I'll point this out. With Elon Musk, a lot of people are like, well, he's going to take over and do this. That's the future. The future hasn't happened yet. Do you see what I'm saying? A lot of people are upset with Elon for things that have not happened yet. And if you're sure they're going to happen, that's one thing. If he announces, I'm going to do this then you can anticipate, because that's based on facts. But I think a lot of times people get upset at people. And this is not just Elon. People do this in their personal life. You know, for instance, if if I'm going through something on my divorce, and I'm, I say, I'm going to make this argument, and someone says, well, your wife will, what if she calls you a liar? That hasn't happened so if she does that at the time i'll deal with it at the time but there's no point in getting myself angry about something that hasn't happened in fact and i see a lot of people do that not just in their personal lives but in politics i've seen i've seen has elon done anything that's pissed you off yet ron
1: no, I don't.
0: I don't about Twitter, about, about Twitter.
1: Oh no, <laughs> I thought you meant ever. No, no. Um, on Twitter, no, no. Um, actually, I'm uh, uh a little happy. Uh, not happy, like, but uh, somewhat excited because uh, you know, he fired this woman that, that I got this clip from because I saw that on Joe Rogan. That was still when he was on YouTube. Uh, when he was live stream on YouTube, and you know, you know, she said she didn't have a polit- political bias. And I I never heard of her until this. Uh, she was on there with Jack Dorsey and Temple. The first picture that came up on on, on, on my Google search or whatever search I used probably was DuckDuckGo. It's her and Hillary Clinton. So she's a liar, you know. She's a straight up stone cold liar. And so it's good that he did. That, uh, that's the first thing Elon did. He fired her and uh, two other people, CEO as well. And then I saw some people on the New York Post that uh, I guess regular you know workers at Twitter. Uh, got fired, some big guy in sweatpants and uh, (laughs) a big shirt, and he was just sad that he was like, you know, Elon's firing everyone. He was like...
0: But he's not firing everyone. And he's firing key decision makers. And I think that's what's great about what he's doing. He's, He's not easing into this. Day one, he fired some of the key decision makers. Now, in a sense, you know, There's, you know, let's think of who—obviously, Trump is a big name. Trump is the one that everyone's watching out for. But I want Jim Hoff back, Gateway Pundit, a frequent guest on the show. I want Jim Hoff back, for instance, because he's a newsman. And uh, we've had her on the show When Nita Broderick, I want back. We've had her on the show before. So people who've been guests on the show, I'm biased. And I also want my Russian media affiliation gone, or at least I want there to be no consequences for it. Look, I put in my Twitter bio that I am proudly standing with Russia and that my radio show is on Sputnik, which is Russian-funded media. But you know, Rod, you and I put together a show every day. Putin doesn't call us and tell us what to do. And I like Putin, and I'll defend that any day of the week. But I want my Russian media designation gone. But I know Elon's not making that his first priority. And you know who really wants it gone, George Galloway. He doesn't have a radio show on Sputnik at all. He's just got an opinion. So what do you think about that, Rod? Yeah,
1: no, I I see what you're saying Lee and definitely you know um these things are like I, you know I agree with you. you need to take time and see what uh, Elon's gonna do um but the firings I am uh I definitely approve of and yeah I, I saw George Gateway put a, a tweet at Twitter uh, and the Twitter team to remove that uh russia state uh, affiliated media from his uh, Twitter bio and uh you know they don't they obviously never respond because I've always other other people try to do it as well and that, that just tells you that they're just 100 100 uh, at the behest of the, uh, at the of the state, and if it's those those three people who were just fired were the ones who were you know you know kissing and, up, uh, kissing up to the state, then, then you know it, you know maybe Elon will put people that will be more uh, reactive to those kinds of. Uh,
0: and again, I'm just realistic about things, and reality is not the f- things that might happen bad in the future. When something bad happens, we'll point it out. And if he announces a policy and he says we're going to implement it next week, we'll say that's a bad policy and we'll talk about it before he implements it because then there's an indication that something bad's going to happen. But he hasn't done that so far that I've seen. And again, my view is you know, with a certain amount of age and going through some hardships, you come to realize that. Things could be worse. And a lot of times people criticize. It's why, for instance, I was bothered by the unfair criticism of JFK after I played that speech. Whereas Mark Stolboda criticized JFK yesterday. He said, well, Russia has fought the United States. I was fine with that because Mark had specific criticisms. Now, I don't think that he was right that JFK was lying, but I don't want to bicker with Mark over that. Do you see my point, Rod? Yeah, no, uh, I see exactly what you're saying, Lee, and I, I don't, I
1: personally probably don't think that JFK knew that history, especially uh, if it was, you know, I, I didn't know it. Uh, maybe, maybe some, maybe most of the people listening and maybe you, maybe you, you knew it, but I didn't, I didn't know personally.
0: Right. And, and but he made me smarter. Mark made me smarter because I learned stuff from his criticism. And that's what I like. I don't, but I don't just like, well, he's a racist or a liar or a warmonger or whatever. In fact, I was thinking about that conversation we had with Thomas, I believe. Who's on the line? Command Central. Thanks very much. Jonathan, we'll get to you in one second. Because I was thinking about this. And... Uh, if you don't believe in change, do you know who you automatically can't like? Malcolm X. Because the autobiography of Malcolm X is, was profoundly moving to me when I read it. And in part because he changed so much over his life. He started off as one person, and he was a criminal. And then he became a world-famous speaker and thinker but was full of hatred that he later admitted to, and his position changed. And I believe they killed him in part, and in this sense, Malcolm is like Kennedy. I believe when he changed towards peace is when they took Malcolm out, whoever took him out. And uh, uh, does that make sense, Rod, comparing Malcolm to JFK in that sense? That just at a point in their life, when they were changing towards peace, they were killed. Oh
1: yeah, one hundred percently, and that's definitely one of the biggest reasons they were uh, taken out. As, well as as well as uh, Martin Luther King, you know, he, he, one of the last things he was saying is that he feared he he brought his people into a burning house. Um, you know, he didn't get to expand on that, and uh, so you know a lot of people just let that statement stand as it is. So uh, that trio right there, um, great men in that time all assassinated and uh assassinated in public as well for everyone to see
0: and throwing bobby kennedy for you know and this is an important point is that the people who were changing always got assassinated in the 60s so let's go to calls 202-521-1320 jonathan thanks for waiting what's on your mind sir
8: you're on Russian-funded media, uh, Russian uh, uh, media, but you don't get your direction from Putin. But you hit all the talking points that are pro-Putin or pro-Russian, so you're not going to be messed with. But I guarantee— I disagree. I, disagree.
0: I, I, I tell the truth. If you can name one thing I said that's wrong, point that out. Otherwise, I stick to the facts and the truth. And actually, Putin agrees with me. I've been talking about Ukraine on this show for years— before I ever heard Putin talk about it
8: no I work with a lot of Russians in the federal government and they've listened to your show and they say it's absolute crap
0: well so so I'm waiting name one single thing one single solitary thing. can you count to one because I can name something go ahead
8: what, 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 what do you want me to ask one thing that you that, that you say is not not true
0: Name something about the Ukraine or Russia situation that I say that's factually not true. For instance, who is Stefan Bandera? Do Ukrainians hold a parade in his honor every January 1st? And was he a Nazi collaborator?
8: I've looked up your reporters, half of them are uh, dime store reporters. Uh...
0: No, 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 don't talk about reporters, talk about the facts. Everything I've said about Bandera is backed up by the CIA.
8: You You should be tarred and feathered, that's what I think.
0: And you should stick your head in it too. You you are a coward, and you're stupid, because I ask you to name one single thing, and when you can't, you insult me. And you're the kind of idiot people like me have to deal with, people who are truth-tellers and are, and are telling the facts. You I, I gave you a chance. You could have made me look bad. You could have named one single thing that I'm wrong about, but you still can't do it, can you?
8: You know what? There's so much stuff that you say that's
0: totally there's so much thing that one's easy to do. So that's it. You're done because I gave you multiple chances, multiple chances. Rod, do you think I was fair to that caller?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't don't know why I couldn't just name one thing Leah. So It's just like, you know, we don't have to we don't have to go round and round. Just say, you know, you're wrong about X or you're wrong about Y. You know what I'm
0: saying? Well, I'll tell you my opinion. Because they never freaking can. They never can. If you watch my Twitter, and you've been watching it a few years, Rod, how many times have you seen me say to people on Twitter, name one thing that I'm factually wrong about, and they never can do it, right? Yeah, yeah, like the
1: past three or four years, I've I've seen that a lot of that is like uh, a decent amount of his sock puppet accounts. Uh, That'll you know say the same things, and then once you ask questions, they don't have any answer. They're just they'll just again you are asking a question to to this uh, Jonathan, and he's not answering with a, a clear statement.
0: And it's saying I should be tarred and feathered. You're you're the tarred. Let me point that out, and you determine what that means, right, because I could get in trouble saying that. So, but uh, but these people can never state factually what's incorrect, and I oppose Nazis, and I oppose fascists. And by the way, I can say that, and I'm not a communist, and I oppose communism. But I don't have to take a position of factual inaccuracy to do so. And, you know, know, I think the reason I still have this job is because I do deep research and back up what I say factually. But I do not have the same opinions as it because notice he jumped immediately to, well, some of your reporters are, I don't care about the reporters, because who says something? Learn, pay attention, Jonathan, philosophy 101. There's a logical fallacy called ad hominem. Ad hominem is not a homophobic slur. Ad hominem means to the man. It's when you dismiss someone's argument because of who said it. So for instance, if I say it's raining out and someone says, well, you work for Sputnik, that doesn't change the fact that it's either raining out or not. Does that make sense, Rod?
1: We got a perfect example of that. Um, you know, I don't know if you saw it, uh, Ilhan Omar, one of the squad members got confronted about uh, Ukraine support, and she did exactly what you're talking about. We have that clip.
0: Well, let's play it. Let's play that clip, Elon Omar. By the way, ad hominem has been crystallized. It's built into a lot of the policies. As soon as someone calls something Russian disinformation and can't give a specific fact that they're incorrect about, you're committing ad hominem on a massive level. and. So let's play a clip. Elon Omar being confronted by an, a peace protester. Hit it.
9: We're supposed to be a progressive Democrat,
5: anti war. Anti war. 80 billion to Ukraine is not anti war. We
3: are helping.
5: Ukraine,
3: defend themselves. Ukraine is killing its own citizens. We are helping people <laughs> in the donbass war. we are helping little children like you're me that have sh- been sh- held. So unless, it, unless you're, you're listen, the big red listen. Unless you have not been paying attention, there are millions of Ukrainians that have been displaced. There are piles of bodies that are being found in mass graves. There that? are little children yeah. whose who lives are being lost. By Zelensky! Here. Yeah, by Zelensky and the Dunbass. But unless you are someone like me that has been that child, you do not get to tell me what my votes mean and how I get to vote in supporting <laughs> people who
0: So you're right. That is a shocking example. And I noticed the people who oppose peace, the warmongers often fall into this tactic of ad hominem. Have you noticed that? The people, they don't need to make a good argument because the CIA and the FBI, the deep state is on their side, invariably, and they're backed by the Democratic establishment. And- Elon Omar, that is a a peace activist, but we have to make arguments, and our adversaries make bad arguments. So, Jonathan, I hope you take a look at yourself in the mirror and are embarrassed. I embarrass you. If you don't understand it, I embarrass you by simply sitting back and asking you to name something I'm saying that's wrong and then being quiet. I would have allowed you to do that. And here's the point about that, maybe I'm wrong about something. I've been wrong about things, but I don't say wrong, because as soon as someone points out something and I realize I'm wrong, I change my opinion. There was a good interview with Tucker Carlson recently, and he said he was wrong on the Iraq war. He admitted that, and that's one reason I really like Tucker. Again, nobody has to be right all the time. It's impossible. You're human. You're going to make mistakes. But when we're talking about change, I pointed out that, you know, again, my background is I was a teenage libertarian. Then I got away from politics for a few years. When I came back in, I was in Texas and George Bush was president. And I never liked George Bush. And as I mentioned, I went to anti war protests living in Austin. And so when I came back, George Bush was president and I was opposed to war. And so I was a Democrat because I got involved in politics and I wanted to, you know, being a libertarian, you don't get to actually participate in the public debate much. So I became a Democrat and subsequently wrote for the Huffington Post and so on. Then, when I realized some of those beliefs were wrong, I became a Republican after my friend Andrew Breitbart died. And every time I lost my entire audience, you have to understand, when I wrote for the Huffington Post, I was making money. My entire audience was on the left. And when I worked with Andrew Breitbart and started covering stories like Pigford and started seeing how the left was wrong on immigration. And by the way, I never I didn't say or write anything at Huffington Post that I feel like I've got to retract. I made some honest mistakes, but not many, actually. And uh, when I left the left, I did not. I've never liked Bush. And I've never liked Hillary Clinton. So I've never had to apologize for supporting Hillary or Bush. But it's one thing to have wrong opinions at one point in your life. but And this goes back to the topic of change we've been talking about. What you do, though, when you realize your opinions are wrong, is you change. Did that all make some sense, Rod? Yeah, no, I'm 100% lean and uh you know,
1: I don't. Again, you said nobody's perfect. Of course, no, nobody's perfect. Even our, you know, parents, grandparents, children, uh, siblings. So you know, loved, you know, uh, you know, loved ones uh, through marriage or or, or whatnot. Um, so to expect this perfection or always someone will always be right, or even just because someone is intelligent doesn't mean they're always going to be right. On the, you know, but most people think be common sense things. You know, it's just. Uh, it's just crazy, but also to de- to deny when you're wrong and uh, to not not want to change. That's also might be just as crazy, or not crazier.
0: No, and you know, you know, Tulsi. We talk a lot about Tulsi Gabbard. Let me say this: I think Tulsi is at a midway point in making her changes. Quitting the Democratic Party was one step, but for instance. I don't think she's done evolving. I think on peace issues, war and peace, she's very good overall. But I've not heard her talk about, for instance, uh, uh, healthcare or abortion much. What she does do at this midpoint in changing is she's tolerant. She does not demonize Republicans who may be pro-life. And I see a a lot of Democrats do that. Don't you see that, Rod? That a lot of Democrats demonize, they attack people for being pro-life. And she understands that a lot of people who are pro-life are good people who are religious and have kids and oppose what they see as killing babies. And a lot of people I find I find, for instance, my perspective on abortion was this true with you rod by the way you d- did you know your kid called me at one point today rod no i didn't know that the, the phone rang and it was you so i answered of course and i said hello and then i heard a cute little girl breathing <laughs> heavy into the phone so apparently you know what i'm saying so did your perspective on, and then we'll go to todd Benzman after a short break did your opinion on abortion change after you had kids
1: uh, No before that but, uh, def- but Definitely it just solidifies it after that
0: Because you know for me You know I found thinking about The issue when I tried to Find out like what kid Would I have avoided, You know you can't think that way it, It's I, I literally my, my brain starts to short circuit But let's take a break because Another issue I'm not convinced Tulsi's changed on Completely is One of the top issues in this election, people say, immigration. And coming up, one of the best guests on the subject from the best think tank in Washington, D.C., the Center for Immigration Studies. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're talking to Todd Benjamin on the Backstory. the Backstory, and on the radio, 105.5 FM, AM 1390. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. Joined now by a great guest from the Center for Immigration Studies, the top think tank in my opinion, on the subject of immigration, Todd Bensman. Hey, Todd, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, uh, what's this I'm hearing about terrorists? And immigration. This seems, it seems like, you know, to say something I don't agree with, a right wing talking point. Does that make sense? You hear sometimes Republicans talk about this, but you'd think that stopping terrorists would be nonpartisan. Todd, what's going on? Sure. Well, remember just a few years ago, Donald Trump
9: made comments to the effect that, hey, you know, terrorists are coming over that border, too, and they're traveling with these caravans, and everybody shouted him down and said he was a liar and a fearmonger, prove it, show us the evidence. Well, that's kind of how the, the narrative was left until about April when, inexplicably, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol started publishing the data on their website, their .gov website in their statistics section. So we now know how many FBI watchlisted immigrants were apprehended at the border every month. And they put three or four years' worth of data up on the, on the site. Don't know what the backstory is there, but never mind Donald Trump, this is now Biden's CBP putting it out there. And those numbers are terrible. Uh, Ninety-eight uh, immigrants were apprehended at that border in fiscal 2022 who were already on the FBI's terrorism watch list and that is a record i mean for for the for the years that they put up there you know we're looking at like 15 came over in 2021 which which in itself was a lot and then you know before that it was like 3 and 0 and 1 and 2 kind of a thing at the southwestern border and i'm talking about sneaking in between ports of entry, you know, through the brush, they got caught. And, you know, there it is. So 98 uh, crossed and were apprehended amid more than a million undetected illegal immigrants who are presumed to have gotten through. So, yeah, you can take comfort in the fact that, you know, they caught 98, but they didn't catch a million others at least. And the question is, you know, how many of them got through? uh and and when you've got a border that is in this this degree this state of collapse and i mean really real collapse all our defenses are down and you've got that many people on the watch list coming through you have to presume that bad guys all over the world know about our border and
0: are heading for it yeah and and todd in a sense isn't this just common sense because for instance Terrorists may not be the brightest people in the world, but they're not completely stupid. When people see videotape of the border being wide open, it's going to occur. I'll put it like this if there's a big mansion in your neighborhood and you put out a list, the doors are open in this mansion and anyone can get in the mansion. And if you had story after story on this mansion with open doors, it makes sense it's common sense that eventually thieves are going to go wait we'll go in the mansion so am i right that in a sense this is just common sense of course terrorists are going to take advantage of the border the border's not stopping anybody todd i think i think the number 98 um,
9: that's just the ones that we know because that's the number we caught is in itself evidence of what you've just described. They they are coming because they know that they're going to get in. There's a high likelihood that they're going to get into the mansion. Um, and you know, I, I'd also just want to point out that you know this. I write about this today in uh, my Newsweek uh, column. I've got a, a piece on this published this morning in Newsweek. And if you go down, if you read below the you know the fold so to speak i've got a lot of examples in there including one where it's an fbi doj indictment of an or or a rocky in ohio who was indicted for plotting to bring in eight up to eight members of his old isis kill team from back in the old country over the southern border they caught him thank god During the investigation, he he told FBI agents that he brought in two Hezbollah operatives successfully over over this particular border. And what this tells us is that the bad guys know it's open. They know the mansion's open. This guy certainly knew the mansion was open. Uh, And I'm going to guess that he's not the only one. I mean, we have an indictment on this one, but how many don't we have indictments on yet?
0: Now, so Todd, I didn't know you were writing for Newsweek, and congratulations on that. And uh, by the way, we're we're again, lucky to have you on the show. Uh, but but I, I think it's I think it's also significant that you're writing for Newsweek. I think that how long you've been writing there? This is my debut article for
9: them for Newsweek.
0: okay. So if I say I think it would have been unthinkable, let's say five years ago or 10 years ago, that Newsweek would have columnists writing about immigration with your perspective. I think Mark Akorian the head of Center for Immigration Studies, who I've been talking to for about 12 years, and Andrew Arthur, your colleagues, they know what I'm talking about. But does it make sense to you that... I, I don't think that perspective would have been on the pages of Newsweek five years ago. Do you agree? Things. yeah, I agree.
9: I mean, there's a. I mean, Newsweek is you know historically and traditionally hard left. They always have been, but that's why they've practically gone out of business, right? Uh, because you know the majority of readers and consumers of news and opinion. Uh, I don't know if it's the majority, but a very significant number are on the conservative side of things. And so they alienated half of the country. And I think they're trying to reverse that now by bringing in new voices. And on this particular topic, what really changed is that CBP is putting up these numbers on their website. So this is .gov statistics. It's not conspiracy-minded GOP Republicans claiming you know, somebody told them who told somebody else that a terrorist crossed. <laughs> they're putting it up there, and they've got every month. Last month, 20 people on the FBI's watch list crossed just like in the month of September and, you know, 20 the month before that. And those are alarming numbers, but they're official government numbers. So I think that that helped a lot in, you know, being uh, me being able to write about it.
0: And do you think also, because I think it takes, people should be more empathetic towards other people who have different opinions. They need to realize that it it seems unbelievable. The stuff that is happening at the border for years seems unreal in a sense. And I'll put it on the perspective of the people crossing the border. When word got out, that you could go to the border and state that I'm seeking asylum. There was a delay. Not everyone believed it. And people down in Mexico, for instance, we I covered this years ago. They didn't believe it at first. Maybe their cousin called them and said, no, really, come to the border and say, you're seeking asylum, and they'll let you in. And once they started, once word got out that was real, there's a massive uptick. That's when you saw a lot of people at the San Ysidro border. Do do you know what I'm talking about Todd?
9: I know exactly what you're talking about because I spend a, a ton of time with the immigrants uh, on the on the other side of the border as they're coming in. And I can tell you that I I don't think I've ever met one at least over the age of 12 who did not have a modern iPhone. Uh, fully connected to social media and the internet. And they use that as a live wire, real-time intelligence network. So the people that are, say, you know, moving into New York and they're being given all these benefits and food and clothing and shelter and, you know, jobs and all of that, those people in New York are sending that information down. And so then you have this huge flow to New York having nothing to do with governors, putting them on buses. Um, or, you know, when there's an opening or a closure at the border, uh, they immediately send lifetime selfies uh, back down the trail. The people up trail send selfies down trail that tell them where to go. And it works. That's how it works. That's how the whole thing works.
0: And the Center for Immigration Studies is a nonpartisan group. But, you know... For years, for about a decade, there is no place that Democrats go to get their news that's been presenting the reality. So if you see something on a site like Breitbart, if you're a Democrat, you don't like Breitbart, or you see Fox promoter. And so it doesn't seem real to you. But then if you look into it and you find the Biden administration was flying people in the middle of the night to Westchester, let's use that as an example. At first, you might think that's made up. That's a right wing talking point. But then I think what happens is, as a Democrat, if you look into it and what's happened is for Democrats in the news sources they read, things have become so overwhelming at the border that they it's it's it's, you can't put it off as a right wing talking point does that make any sense Todd
9: yeah because you know they're seeing it in their own communities now New York is a great example since I brought it up a minute ago but New York's a great example because um you know like I said uh tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of immigrants coming fresh from the border being released are on their way to New York and then flooding their schools And they don't know what to do, and they're flooding their homeless shelters, and they don't know what to do, and they're flooding everything. And so the Biden appointees can go on all the Sunday talk shows that they want and say that the border is totally secure. But the reality is in people's own backyards. They're not seeing that. They're seeing them all over the streets panhandling. And the consequence of that is you know, the state of New York is uh, poised to go red. For the first time, there's good polling and good reporting saying that, you know, this this traditional blue bastion of of a of a Democratic voting state for 25 years is on the verge of going red. in you know, most of its races, including the, the governor's race and the polling shows that immigration is the top issue right up there next to crime. So that tells you i mean, and it's not like the new york times and the and and the local media in New York are honestly reporting about what's going on. I think that the people see with their own eyes in their own backyards and their own schools what the reality is
0: and like you say uh, you know everyone has a, a cell phone now, so even if it's not affecting them, they have a cousin or whatever who lives there. Down- in Texas. Or I think also the fact that Greg Abbott and the governors from various Republican states were sending the people up on buses, I think that gave everyone a chance. And Democrats freaked out about that. But I think the reason they freaked out about it is because it proved their point that, in fact, Democrats, when when New York gets hit with the immigrants being bused into their area, it affects things. They can no longer deny it because Eric Adams is out there saying this is really affecting our city. Do you see what I'm saying, Todd? Well, right. They're they're just being
9: caught in lies and people are not stupid. Their voters are not stupid. They know they're being lied to. And it's 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 um you know, not a winning position to be caught lying uh, to the extent that they that they are doing it right to your faces, like with straight faces, no smile, no hint of a joke. You know, they, they went on all the Sunday news shows this last Sunday saying the border is totally secure, nothing to worry about, when everybody knows, you know, that that's just a lie. The busing, one thing that's interesting is that the Republican busing, uh, relative to the total number of people that are immigrants that are going to these places, uh, was fractional. The number was fractional, but, the, but it didn't matter because because those people that were bused by the Republican governors got a red carpet welcome with every possible material good you can imagine. Uh, shelter and food and clothing and jobs and replacement and hotels and expansions i mean like every possible thing and so now they're just coming on their own because of the lifetime intelligence network on their, their their selfies on their cell phones now everybody wants to go to New York they don't need the it's like the republican governors might have primed the pump a little bit at the beginning and then that was it they signed their own warrant up there in New York giving them all this free stuff and that's the way it's working across the country in every city in America these you know people of of um, well intent uh, don't really realize that they are causing more and more people to come to them the more they give away and so that's it's just a fact of life and then you know people will who don't like that will vote about it and immigration is the top three issue right up there with inflation
0: and actually because it's related. Talk about the relationship between economic problems and immigration.
9: Well, that's a big topic, but but it's definitely interconnected because, for one thing, you know, the inflation really hurts the, the, the lowest uh, earning segments of our population. People that are in the service industry kind of working these, uh, you know, lower paying jobs, um, going paycheck to paycheck. And the illegal immigrants that are coming in are direct competitors for those jobs. Uh, so, so that is going. That already is is probably uh, has a lot of people out of work already. And people in in those segments know it. They know it. And those people in those segments happen to be Democrats uh, by and large. I mean, I can't, I can't speak universally about that. But um, then the other thing is that um, you know this. To support millions upon millions of brand new people coming in very suddenly uh, is is a, a tremendous drain on social services, safety nets uh, that require bailouts by the federal government. You always hear these mayors are saying, "Please give us federal money." Well, and they'll get it, uh, but it, it's going to be years and years of that, and that's deficit spending. It adds to the to the inflation. It, deficit spending, as you know, and most of everybody your, in your audience knows, is partly what causes inflation. And it costs billions of dollars, as, as much as $100 billion, I saw one estimate by CIS, um, of uh, you know what, it, what it, it's going to cost to support this many people coming in. That's a lot of money. So it's just going to make the problem worse and also you know our homeless people um, homeless americans uh you know you're seeing them displaced from from homeless shelters and for um from uh, all of the social s- services that that they require being diverted over to illegal immigrants and that's never good how how is that good
0: no and and that's why i often bring up the argument against unlimited immigration from a left standpoint. And I point out that people like Cesar Chavez were opposed to immigration. And it used to be a standard democratic position. Because if you're in favor of a lot of government entitlements, as people on the left tend to be, free, if you're going to give, for instance, free college to people, if you do it, to not every citizen, but every non-citizen, that's going to cost you a huge amount of money. And that needs to be paid for somehow. And if the solution is, we'll just print more money, you're right. It it adds to inflation. So that's why, even though I'm on the right, I like to point out, because the other thing I've noticed over the years is that the main argument in favor of unlimited immigration has been, and you know this, Todd, has been to call people like you or Andrew Arthur or Mark Corian racist. That's it, that's their argument. And can you imagine how much easier your life would be if you didn't have to look at, I'm sure you look at a lot, your work is doing research and looking at numbers and statistics. If you could just write an article, Mexicans are lazy. And I don't like them how much easier would your life be but you you're instead researching and the facts are on your side and the counter argument, am I right is am I missing a lot of good arguments Democrats have made in favor of their position or do they just fall back on racism Todd you
9: well yeah I mean a
0: couple things there is one you know the second I hear ra- you're you're a racist
9: is the minute i just dismiss that person as a serious person that's obviously not an argument you know you're a racist does not count does not counter my ideas you know so um i don't really you know entertain that at all and uh two is that democrats traditionally you you said it early on uh have have been uh, very republicany about illegal immigration, Cesar Chavez, but not just Cesar Chavez. Just a couple of weeks ago, Bill Clinton, who was notoriously tough on illegal immigration, came out and said, this is unsustainable. This is not, we can't keep doing this. Uh, what's happening at the border can't keep happening. It's got to end. Uh, Bernie Sanders uh, was a notoriously anti-illegal immigration all the way up until 2016, uh, because it hurts working class Americans, like in the way I just mentioned, it's, it's the, the progressive liberals of the party took over is what happened. And so they are not, not, there is, they are not mainstream Democrats at all. They took over and they did this to the country and they are driving Democrats to the Republican Party. They're driving Latinos, working, excuse me, working class Latinos to the Republican Party in huge numbers. And they're driving independents uh, and and working class union people who would normally be Democrats, vote Democrats to the Republican side. And they don't even know they're doing it. They did it um, starting in 2016. And Trump rode that. To the White House. They've just done it again. They've just made the second mistake. They're downplaying their own interests in their own party, their own base. Um, they're downplaying immigration as though it's not a real issue. It's just a made up issue. It's not happening down there. But, you know, it's to their detriment. They're just going to get slacked in this coming election because. They're pretending like it's not happening. They're not. They're not connected to reality on the topic. So,
0: we'll see what happens. Well, well, let's let's talk about one practical consequence. Do you think the head of DHS, Mayorkas, is going to survive after Republicans take the House and the Senate? What do you think is his future? I mean, purely
9: speculative, I know a lot of um, Republicans are going to try to bring him up on impeachment trial, um, on impeachment charges. Um, I think that they have a good point. I don't think that they're going to get very far with that. It'll be political theater, and he may leave before they can you know, make much hay out of it. He might not make it the second two years, but who knows? Um, and that's one of the reasons why he might leave. Another reason is that one— when when the Democratic Party realizes its mistake, like they did after Trump won, but they didn't act on it then, and they realized that immigration is one of the top three issues of concern to all Americans, and that they got shellacked because of it, they lost real power down to the bone marrow, and I mean the Senate uh, and, and far deeper in the house than anybody really expected, um, just a few months ago that they may have a change of heart that if they want to retain any chance at all of retaining the white house, they're going to have to make some changes. And one of those changes is going to have to be Majorcus. They got to kick him out if he doesn't leave on his own.
0: Now I can I can't think of any Republican candidates. Can you of this new crop of candidates who does not take a realistic position. Essentially, I'll call it the Trump position, but I've known about that position for a while. A realistic position. I, I think to a person, every one of these new Republican candidates takes, we used to have people like McCain, and even Rubio seems to have changed on immigration. He was in the Gang of Eight. What are you saying politically on the Republican the Republican side, Todd. I'm sorry, you broke out the
9: first part of your question. I didn't quite catch.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I'm asking whether you're seeing any Republican candidates from this new crop of candidates who is not realistic on immigration, who takes a gang of eight position on immigration. I think that's dead in the Republican Party because I'm not seeing any new candidates who take that. Do you? Well,
9: uh, I mean, I think that there there is an activist uh, grouping of Republicans in the House, especially uh, who are going to be moving forward uh, this time, knowing that, you know, we are watching kind of a thing. I think that there will be a very activist group of Republicans. You'll see it Immediately uh, after the new Congress takes takes uh, it's the seat, takes their seating, and uh, you'll you'll find a whole bunch of bills. They'll be putting bill after bill after bill forward and having hearings. The bills probably won't go anywhere because you've still got a Democratic-controlled White House, so they'll be vetoed if they ever get through the Senate too. Uh, but I I do think that that Republicans who stand in the way of that sort of thing do so at great peril, because immigration, illegal immigration, what happened at the border, this this historic American catastrophe uh, is, is beyond where things were during Gang of eight times. This is something that's an emergency, an absolute catastrophe for the country that's never happened before. So I have to think that you know, Koch Brothers type, we want the cheap labor type Republicans um, are are going to stand down this time. I don't think that they're going to be able to to exert much on this. That's just my my opinion. We'll see what happens.
0: Now, so real quickly, is there something going on at the Canadian border that's a a current crisis? Real quickly, Todd, because we're almost out of time.
9: Nothing like what's happening. I mean, it's just sort of standard uh, business up there. Uh, not much happening. You know, the terrorists aren't crossing up there. Um, the, the the numbers are you know normal. There's just the usual drug smuggling and things like that. It's it's there's nothing unusual really happening on the
0: northern border. This is all sub- so you can find Todd's articles on cis dot correct? And Newsweek, right, Todd?
9: Yeah, well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I write for other publications uh, under, you know, a, as a CIS employee. So I've written...
0: Anyone else you want to mention?
9: I write I write for the New York Post. Um, I've written quite a few for them. I write for the Federalist. I've had several um, significant
0: pieces run in the Federalist. Well, Todd, Todd, great parents as usual. Thanks so much, and you have a nice weekend. And thanks so much to our first hour guests as well, and everyone who called. We'll be back next week bringing you the truth behind the headlines on The Backstory.